good to be here with you today, and I'm uh, looking forward to whatever Father's going to do with us all. Um, we're a little bit behind this morning, so uh, I've asked Press to wave at me when there is about uh, 15 minutes to go, at which point I will promptly ignore him, and uh, we'll continue with whatever Father wants us to do. Okay? Before we start this morning, I do have something I want to testify to. Uh, many of you know about my baby girl who was born six years ago with a very rare disease, about 40 cases worldwide, um, in ICU for months and months, almost died several times, uh, got her home for a week, a couple of weeks. She caught a rare blood fungus because of her immune system and back in the hospital, crashing, dying, there in the hospital. Uh, finally, the doctors, after about four weeks, figured out what it was, gave her antibiotics. The antibiotics depleted potassium, so they administered the potassium to restore it, and the doctor miscalculated and gave her five times the dose, and, uh, put her in a car immediate cardiac arrest, and we almost lost her there. And It's been a wild ride. Uh, doctors told us she would never move, never walk, never talk. Uh, she loves to make liars out of them. She is top in her class academically in kindergarten. And last Tuesday, Avery Micah Lynn Friedman decided to walk. Part of her regimen in therapy is the therapist holds her and walks her around, straps her into a treadmill to exercise her. And she said, well, it's time to go for a walk. And she says, let's go to the treadmill. And Avery said, no, I don't want to go to the treadmill. She says, okay, I'll hold you and we'll walk around. She says, no, I do myself. And from nowhere, she went from taking two or three steps and falling into our arms to 50, 100, 150 steps at a time. So praise God. That is just awesome. Would you stand with me? Let's pray, shall we? I love to have people stand when we pray because of a great truth from the book of Jude. You know Jude, the crispy portion of your Bible? It's a little book that doesn't get read very often. But you know, throughout history, whenever men and women were in the presence of God, when God showed himself to him, what instantly happened to them? They were on their nose. Man could not stand in the presence of a holy God. But through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a little verse at the end of Jude that says this, Now who, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in his presence blameless with great joy. So I think our posture and prayer should evidence that. So let's stand in his presence because of the glory of Christ. And let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. That you are God. Thank you, Father, for sending the Lord Jesus Christ, not just to die, though that is glorious, but to live. And to live still inside of man, that incredible mystery, now revealed. Not just revealed, but experienced. Father, in a time that comes now, we commit this time to you. Not to learn with our minds, but to learn with our spirits. 
and for me not to speak with my mind, but with my spirit. And Father, may spirit connect to spirit and life can commit to life that transformation might take place in the lives of each and every saint here. So Father, be God. Be all that you are to all that we need. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, let every saint say it. Amen. From time to time when I speak, uh, I'll give people questions, a test. Uh, it's important to quiz, you know, because you, as a teacher, you're never going to find out what people are gaining in the, if you don't test them. So we're going to test you. Pull out a piece of paper and a pen. Get ready. Here we go. We're going to ask you a question. How do I turn this thing on? Is it on already? Oh, for technology. I see it. Hit the on button. He doesn't trust me to hit the on button. <laughs> Has some of you been talking about me? big screen. How was Jesus able to do all that he did? <laughs> Would someone like to close in prayer and we'll go home? Jesus able to do all that he did. I want you to think about that for just a minute. He walked on water, healed the sick, raised the dead. And not just that, I'm talking about the real miracles. He said no to temptation. He loved the unlovely. He was kind to his enemies. How was he able to do that? Write the answer down right away. Hurry up. One, two, three. You ought to be done. Quick answer. How was Jesus able to do all that he did? I see some of you not writing. Are you confused? That's an easy question. How was Jesus able to do all that he did? Tuck that piece of paper, write it, write it down, put your answer in your Bible somewhere so nobody else sees you. We're going to explore that answer in a minute, and I don't want any of you to be embarrassed. But I want you to think. Do we have an interpreter? There we go. That is exciting. I'm going to buy one of these. The most common answer that I get as I travel around is, Duh, Frank, don't you know Jesus was God? Well, today, gang, that is true, by the way. You did know that, right? But I want you to think something modern man has forgotten to do. Lost the art. Modern man doesn't think anymore. We're so much into an entertainment mode, every spare minute is hooked up to something that we don't think anymore. If that is true... That Jesus was able to do all that he did because he was God, my friends. And I hope you know that is very bad news for you and I. Why? Because we're called to live as he lived. 
We're called to do as He did. Matthew chapter 5, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Ephesians says what? Walk as Jesus walked. We're called to love the unlovely. We're called to be kind to our enemies. We're called to forgive. We're called to be patient. We're called to love our spouse. Unconditionally. And that brings a question, man. How are we going to do that if we're not God? We are set up, destined for failure in the Christian life if your answer is that Jesus was able to do all that He did because He was God. And that opens up a whole ball of confusion. Why then does God call us to live a life that we can never live? Why would He do that? I mean, and then you've got to ask the question, can you worship a God like that? I mean, at that point, He's almost... You have to come to the conclusion that He's vindictive. Hey, Jesus, watch this. We're going to... Call them to do something they can never do. That's like God that... It's like the little boy that pulls the flies off of wings. Is that your God? (laughs) Look at how how they're falling. That's not God, gang. Well, the church at this point... Oh, Frank, you don't understand. God understands. All He asks us to do is do the best we can, confess our failure, and resolve to do better next time. Isn't that exciting? (laughs) Welcome to the Christian life. God has a wonderful plan for your life. See, we have a problem in the church today. And the problem is that we have set Jesus up as an example of behavior. And in that, we note what he did in the Gospels. But then we guess what he would have done if he were here today. Something called WWJD. What would Jesus do if someone cut him off in traffic on the interstate? See, the problem with that kind of thinking is that there are some unscrupulous people that would say, well, he'd have turned him into a toad in Father's name. So you've got to note what he did in the Gospels, and then you've got to guess what he would have done if he were here today, and then you've got to seek to imitate him. Man, do you realize how hard it is to be like God when you are not God, when you lack the resources? That is a hard role to play. I speak on college campuses every chance I get, and I remember this one little co-ed that called me up after I'd spoken on this particular campus, and she called up, just in tears. <laughs> and she, I said, what's the matter, baby? And she says, I can't do it. I said, well, what can't you do? She said, I can't live the Christian life. <laughs> what do you mean that you can't live the Christian life? I can't do it. I just can't be like Jesus. I can't read my Bible every day. I can't witness. I can't love people. I just, I just can't do it. I said, well, sweetheart, let's, let's think a little bit. You can't live the Christian life, right? And she said, no. I said, okay, so in the Christian life, you're trying to be like Jesus, right? She said, yes. I said, well, let's think. Who is Jesus? He's God. That's right. I said, have you ever read Genesis chapter 3? Yes. I said, okay, so you're trying to be like Jesus. Yes. And Jesus is God. That's right. So you're trying then to be like God. I said, in Genesis chapter 3, it says, in the day that you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. Oh, my God! And she saw it, man! Forever changed! 
living out of the lie and putting Jesus' name on it. Incredible. Do you know what the church calls a man that tries to be like God? We call him a man of God. <laughs> but do you know what God calls a man who tries to be like God? God calls him a rebel. There was a... Several years ago, there was a leader, he's a vice president of a major organization, Christian organization in our country, and he had visited me in my office, and I won't tell you the organization because I want to protect the man, but I do have to share this story because it, it emulates, this is a Christian leader gang. You know, this is not some person in the pew, this is a guy who's supposed to know his stuff. And he walked into my office, and he looked around like this, everything on the bookcases, and he's, huh. And I said, huh? I said, what are you hunting about? He said, well, look at this. Look at the books, the tapes, the videos. The church has more resources than it's ever had in its history. I said, and your point is? Divorce is at an all-time high in the church. It used to be that the world divorced, but never the church. Then the church divorced, but never the missionaries. Now we've got our missionaries divorcing and coming home from the field. Why is this happening when we have all these resources? This is gray hair. So I said, what do you think? <laughs> Obviously that was a man on an agenda. I wanted to hear what he had to say. I think it's because there's no prophet in the land. Nobody preaching on sin anymore. We're also eager to restore these people that nobody's holding up the standard. There's no holiness anymore in the pulpit. That's what I think. He said, what do you think? I said, well, I don't think that. He said, well, what do you think? I said, well, I think that our churches are doing with their people the same way, thing that our prisons and our country does with its criminals. He said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, let me illustrate it first. Ephesians 5.25, what does it say? He said, well, husbands love your wives. I said, okay, good. I said, do you do that? He said, well, yes, I do. I said, you stench in the nostrils of God. Now, please understand, I don't treat counselees that way. <laughs> but this is a Christian leader. He said, what are you talking about? I said, what you just said. Finish the verse. Husbands, love your wives the way Jesus loves the church. Do you mean to tell me that you actually love your wife the way Jesus loves the church? He said, well, I try. I said, oh my God, you're even worse than I thought. He said, what do you mean? He said, what do you do with that verse? I said, I confess that I am an utter failure at being able to love my wife the way Jesus loves the church. Which throws me into dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ so that He can love my wife through me in a way that only He can as I yield and trust Him by faith. I said, my friend, haven't you ever read your Bible? You're trying to love your wife the way Jesus loves the church. Jesus is God. You're trying to love like God. Genesis chapter 3, in the day you eat, you will be like God. You are living out of the economy of the fall and putting the name of Jesus on it and sanctifying it in the church. Now I'll explain to you what I meant. In our country, what do we do? We take criminals. And we educate them. And what do you get? Educated criminals. In the church, we take a bunch of prideful, independent people. And we educate them with the Bible. And what do you get? Biblically educated, pridefully independent people. 
people who know so much but cannot do what they know. And what is it that they cannot do? They cannot love. They cannot love. I think of the Psalms. There was a verse there. Oh, where is it? About Psalm 108 maybe. 104. Somewhere around in there. Don't get smug about that. Jesus did the same thing. He did, by the way. You know, in John chapter 7, he quoted rivers of living water. According to scriptures, that phrase is not found in the Old Testament. Jesus paraphrased. Isn't that cool? <laughs> I love that about Jesus. Telling those people in Jerusalem, yeah, somewhere in the Old Testament it says something like this. I love it. I love it. <laughs> he is more of a sympathetic high priest than you can realize, gang. But in that psalm, it says something like this. Israel knew God's acts, but Moses knew God's ways. Israel knew about God. Moses knew God. The church knows about God. But the church is weak and anemic and doesn't know God. You see, my friends, because you and I are called to live the same way Jesus lived, it becomes very important that we understand how he was able to live as he lived. And so the question I want to ask this morning as we get into this is this. Is there a better answer for how Jesus was able to do all that he did? And what we're going to do is we'll just have two points this morning. You see, the, the title of this conference is Liberated to Live. We want to talk about living this exchange life. What is, how, how, what's it look like? But before you can ever look at what it looks like, you've got to find out how to pull it off. Right? So two simple points. One today. How did Jesus live? Two, then how are we to live? Here we go. First and foremost, how did Jesus live? I want to suggest to you that the church is right. That Jesus is the prototype. Jesus is the example. Jesus is the WWJD. It's truth. But only if you complete it by saying this. He is the example of how to live the Christian life. Not in terms of what to do, behavior, but in terms of how to do it, which is method. And to prove this to you, I want you to turn to the Gospel of John, John chapter 6. And we want to move very quickly this morning, so if you can't keep up, look on your neighbor. Go buy those Bible tabs. That'll help you out. John chapter 6. I want to look at verse 57. Y'all there? All right. Too bad if you're not. Look on your neighbor. Here we go. As the living Father has sent me... Watch this next phrase. And I live by the Father. I live, Jesus said, of the Father. And that word can be translated by, out of, or from. Jesus said, the way I live is I live out of Him. I live from Him. It was complete dependence. That was His method. Now, whenever I teach, I don't trust words. Jesus, when you study the Gospels and how he taught, he taught visually. See? Uh, look at this mustard seed right here. Look at that fig tree over there. See this little kid? Now, see, he's the master teacher because he created us. He created us. He knows how we learn. We learn visually. That's why for 20 years I've been teaching with an overhead projector. See, in those days I was called the electronic church. Scaldon. Today I'm called a dinosaur. <laughs> Don't have the PowerPoint and all that stuff, you know? So I want to be visual here. So I ask, Father, give me a word picture for this. And this is what, what came to my mind was a radio. Imagination. Say this is a radio. Plug it in. Turn it on. What's it do? 
Play the music. Go away for a day and come back. What's it doing? Go away for a week and come back. What's it doing? Go away for a year and come back. What's it doing? Play music. Barring a mechanical failure in the radio or an electrical failure, this thing is going to play. Why? Because that's the way it was designed. It was designed to be plugged into an unlimited power source that would keep it playing indefinitely. That was the original man. But Adam didn't like being dependent on God. Bought the lie that it would be better to be his own God. And he unplugged. Turn the radio over and in the back there's some battery compartment. Pop the batteries in. Turn it on. What's it do? Plays music. In fact, I dare to say to you that if your back was turned and you couldn't see whether I had the plug in or not and whether it was running on batteries or not, you could not tell the difference. And that is good flesh. That is the imitation of God by man. Jesus lived plugged in continually. Never lived on batteries. Let's scour through the Gospel of John just to prove this point. I don't want to have one verse confirm it. Let's go to John chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. John 5, verse 19. Jesus answered and said to them, Truly, truly, whenever you see that, that's wake up, wake up. Listen, listen. Hear ye, hear ye. Look what it says. The Son can do nothing of Himself. The Son can do what? Nothing. The Son can do nothing. Say that with me in that way. The Son can do nothing. Good for you. I knew you could. I can do nothing of myself. As I... Here, verse 30, John 5, verse 30, I can of mine own self do nothing, just to make sure we didn't hear it the first time. You heard me right. John 5, verse 30, as I hear, I judge. Turn to John 8, chapter, 20, chapter 8, verse 28. Look what he says again, middle of the verse. I do nothing of myself, but as my Father has taught me, so I speak. As I hear, I speak. Now, this is so important in John chapter 8 because of the context. What's the context of John chapter 8? What happened in the first part of the verse? The the adulterous woman. Do you remember? Caught in the very act of adultery and paraded in before Jesus. Where was the man, by the way? Double standard. They set her up. You come sit in the front row. Press. It's a privilege sitting up there, brother. (laughs) He said my time was up. (laughs) And those conniving religious little, you know, they had him. They had him. This was the one above every other trap. They had him. They must have thought for months how to do this. And the wisdom of man nailed the Lord Jesus Christ. What do you say, Jesus? The law says stoner. What do you say? If Jesus says stoner, then He's not the loving Messiah He's claiming to be. If He says let her go, He violates the law. They had Him. So what did He do? Knelt down and drew in the dirt. And for centuries, the church has said, what was He doing? What was He doing? What did he draw? What did he draw? 
Oh, he was just doodling. Oh, he was uh, writing the sins that all those other people had committed. When they saw the sins, they ran away. I don't buy that for a minute. Today, you get to learn what he was doing. I believe it with all my heart. Because verse 29 we just read said what? As I hear, I speak. So you can accept this if you want. This is what I think really happened. You can reject it if you want. It's your freedom to be wrong. Now, I'm just kidding. Alright. As I hear, I speak. What do you say, Jesus, the law says, stoner? Father, they got me. If I say let her go, I violate the law. If I say stoner, I'm not loving. I'm dependent upon you, Father. Oh, that's good. <laughs> let he who is without sin cast the first stone. You fried them, Father. <laughs> Look at them go. This is so cool. The context says it. As I hear, I speak. That's what happened in John chapter 8. One more. How about John chapter... Next page. 14. Turn there real quick. John chapter 14... You know what's going on here, of course. Jesus is ready to go. They don't want him to go. You understand why, right? Unconditional love for the first time in their lives was skin on. You don't want that to go. He says, it's okay when I go away, I'm going to send back the comforter. I'm going to go to the Father. And what does Philip say? Well, show us the Father. And Jesus said, Oy vey. He said it. It didn't make it into the Scriptures, but he said it. Philip, have I been with you so long and you don't get it if you can't believe the lips, the words, man? Can you at least believe the works? Look at John 14, verse 10. The works that I do are the works of what? The Father. There's the answer to the question. Pull out your piece of paper. How was Jesus able to do all that He did? It was God doing life through Jesus as Jesus humbled Himself and became dependent upon the Father. And that's Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 12. Jesus, who though He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be clung to, but He humbled Himself and became obedient, fully dependent upon the Father to live only as the Father lived through Him under the power of the Holy Spirit. And that passage right there answers all those pesky cults that knock on your door and say, Jesus isn't God. Those little verses they use. Well, if Jesus was God, He would have known the hour of His return. If Jesus was God, He would have not said, Who touched me when that woman touched Him? No, 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 no. What's the answer? Father hadn't told Him. Father didn't reveal to Him at that point when His return would come. Father didn't reveal who it was that touched Him. Right out of Philippians 2. You don't have to be afraid of the cults. And so, think with me. Who then walked on the water? Jesus did. What's Jesus going to say? Who's the Father? See? This introduces the great tension of the New Testament. I, but not I. Galatians 2.28, Nevertheless I live, but yet not I, yet the Father lives in me. Christ lives in me. Remember Paul? I labored more than any other apostle. Yet what? 
Not I. See, it's, it's both hand. So who fed the 5,000? Who fed the 5,000? Well, you don't seem very confident in that. Who fed the 5,000? Jesus. What does Jesus say? All right, now I want you to recite after me because we're going to do this. Ready? I know this is the first session, but are you ready? I don't want you to miss this. Did Jesus feed the 5,000? Did Jesus feed the 5,000? Did the Father feed the 5,000? So was it Jesus or the Father that fed the 5,000? Good for you, you got it. That's how we know the book was written by God. Man would have solved that problem. So how did Jesus live? What's the answer to the question? Wait a minute. There we go. He lived dependently on his Father. And that brings us to the next question. That's our first point. How did Jesus live? That's it. So how then are we to live? There you go, dependently on Jesus. Let's go back to John chapter 6 where we started. John chapter 6, back to verse 57 again. Let's look what it says. As the living Father has sent me and I live out of, from the Father. So he that eateth me shall live from, by, or out of me. Jesus said, I live of the Father. Now you, in this new covenant economy, are to live out of or from me. Let's drive this home a little bit because Jesus set this up in a sermon. In verse 51, let's look back there. I'm going to give you a little Greek lesson today. Don't like to throw this stuff out because it makes it sound like, you know, we can't get a lot out of our Bible. But you can, gang. But sometimes that Greek really helps. Here we go. John 6:51. Look what he says. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, take your pen, circle that word eat in your Bible. In the margin of your Bible, put it at right aorist tense. What that means is the past action with an abiding result. Illustration, marriage. On December 11th, 1981, I married Janet Friedman. That's an aorist tense. Meaning what? It's a past completed action, but it's still going on today. With me? So what is Jesus saying? If you want to have eternal life, receive of me how many times? Once. And what's going to happen? You've got eternal life. What does this say about losing your salvation? Can't happen, gang. Eat once, you've got life. Hallelujah. How many times do you have to receive the Lord Jesus Christ? One time, you got Him forever. Awesome. But, skip down to verse 54. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has everlasting life. Did you see what he did? He went from singular, eat, to what? Eats. And that is trogo. He changed the word. It's still translated eat, but it is a present tense, meaning continuously eats. Now, I want to share with you the difference in this. He says then, fago means to eat. Trogo, however, means to feast. Buffet. The word literally means crunch and munch. So I said, Father, give me word picture. Here we go. Fago, verse 51, is like the way a cat eats. How many of you have cats? 
You ever serve them dinner? Fifi! Come here, Fifi! Here, kitty, kitty, kitty! And what's the cat do? What are you serving? See, this is part of the problem. That's the way the body of Christ is treating Jesus. Oh, that's something I did a long time ago. See? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. No, no. If you eat once, you have everlasting life. But if you want to experience it, gang, you've got to continually feast on the Lord Jesus Christ. What's the word picture Father gave me? A dog. You ever see a dog eat? You can't even get it out of the can. That's the way you're to be with Jesus. You're to be a dog for Christ. We had, we had this 100-pound lab. It used to tick me off so bad. Because, you know, every once in a while in the Freedman home, we'd have steak. You know, in the ministry. You know, Steve, you know, in the ministry, you know. Once every quarter, we'd get some steak, maybe. Somebody drop it off on the door. <laughs> Suffering for Jesus, you know. And man, we'd savor that steak. You know, oh, every bite, this is so good compared to the noodles and hamburger. You know, you relate, Steve? Yeah. Okay. We'll be taking an offering in a few minutes. Um, but you know what I'm talking about. And so I'd get these scraps, and I'd bring them to this 100-pound lab, and I'd, I'd want him to savor it too, her to savor it. And I'd put it in front of her, and she'd go, oh. That's not how you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to savor every bite. You to make me mad. No more scraps for you. I'll eat the scraps. You know? So, but that's the way you're supposed to be with Jesus. Feasting on Him. Scarfing on Him. I, Father gave me two word pictures. Look at this one. An IV line. How many times do you insert an IV line? One time. But then what happens? The steady drip of life. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to have eternal life, eat of Him once. You want to experience that everlasting life, you feast on Him and walk with Him. It's glorious. This is John 15, 1 through 6. Without me, you can do? You didn't say it right. All right. A branch does not produce fruit. The branch's only responsibility is connected to the vine, so the vine can produce its life through Jesus Christ. It is all about Jesus. Jesus is the only one who ever lived the Christian life. He's the only one who can live the Christian life. And He wants to live His Christ life through you as you live dependently upon Him, gang. That is what it is all about. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5, verse 17. What's our time, press? I'm done? <laughs> and all God's people said, <laughs> Love you too, brother. You know this verse, it's marching orders of our A-E-L-M. If by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who write a check. Is that what it says? Join a church. Pray. What's it say? Humble yourself, open your arms and receive. What do you receive? The gift of righteousness. And the abundance of grace. And what happens to you, gang? You reign in life. Now, one of the things I've been doing over the years is I've noticed that it's just as important to know what God does not say as what He says. Take your finger and put it over the final phrase. Through the one Jesus Christ. Now read it. Death reigned through Adam, but those who receive the gift of righteousness and the abundance of grace will reign in life. Did you see it? That is not what Scripture says. Take your finger off and now read it. 
those who receive the gift of righteousness and the abundance of grace will reign in life. What? Through the one Jesus Christ. I have a great fear. I have a great fear. See, without that phrase, the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness are just doctrines. And you and I can't have a relationship with the doctrine. And that's what I see happening in the move, movement of grace. I see the body of Christ learning new jargon through the books and tapes and everything that's out there. And we're learning jargon without a dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're getting into doctrinal debates with the church when we ought to be leading them to Jesus Christ. I'm scared of this thing. And it, it, when I first had my eyes open to this, there were so few people teaching about grace. Now everybody's writing books on grace. There are people writing books on grace that don't know grace. It scares me. With that phrase, these new doctrines are relegated to their proper place, which is subservient to the person that spoke them. His name is Jesus. We were never created to live by correct doctrine gain. We were created to live by a person. And we need more than exchange life doctrine. We need the exchange life. I don't know if this will show up. I hope it does. I was scouring some Sunday school material years ago, and I saw this thing. And man, oh man, I thought, as soon as I saw it, I said, that's it, that's it, that's the church. Look at this. Does it show up? Yeah, it does. The Christian's life support system. Got a man on the moon with a, an oxygen pack, and then his oxygen backpack, which holds life to him, is said as what? The Bible. That's a lie. Haven't you ever read John 5.39? Jesus said, you search the Scriptures because you think in them are eternal life, but I tell you, they testify of me. I'm life. What ought to happen is the Bible ought to be in the hands of the astronaut and Jesus on the backpack. And my fear is that in this movement, what we've done is we've put the Bible in our hands, but we've put exchange life doctrine as that backpack. And that's not it. The doctrine was intended to lead us to a person. Jesus is the dynamic. All right, press, I'm going to cut out a lot of stuff. I'll be graceful. Yeah. If I don't do this, he won't invite me back next year. He's a vindictive cuss. <laughs> I once preached the shortest message I ever taught. It was um, 20 minutes long. Really? It was on Romans 11.36. If you come away with anything this week, come away with this. Look at it. Of Him. From. Source. Through Him. Means. To Him. Goal. Direction. Are all things. Jesus is the source. Jesus is the means. Jesus is the goal. I said, Father, word picture. Please. This is what he put in, in my head. A circular river. Let me help you. Here's a river. And rivers only flow one direction. Do you realize that wherever you get in, source, it's what? The river. Wherever you're going, it's the river. And what's carrying you along? The river. It's all Jesus. Oh, Jesus. We need to be that dependent. What kind of people are that dependent and needy? Children. 
Malcolm Smith once made this statement. It so impacted me, it's, it's locked in my brain. Do you realize that Jesus was the supreme child in the kingdom of children? Depending completely on his father for everything pertaining to his life. The problem for you and I is it's easy for a child to be a child, but it's difficult for an adult to be a child. Abraham is the classic. When you study the book of Genesis and you see Abraham take that boy up on the altar to put a dagger in him, I tell you, that was the decision of a child. A man would have reasoned with God. And there's no reasoning in the text. A man would have said, you told Noah not to take life, Father. I ain't doing it. This is the promised kid, Father. You don't kill the promised kid. The father says, take that boy up on the altar and put a dagger in him. That's Father. It's the decision of a child. It took God 150 years to get him there. See, in the world we grow up and then we enter into Christ and God grows us down to become like kids. To become a child, my gang, we'll wrap this up. You've got to say no to your personal assets. That's hard to do. But you've got to see your personal assets as liabilities. People don't realize this. I had so many people praying for me beforehand because I'm scared to death to get up here every time I speak. You? Yeah. I know I have nothing to offer. If God doesn't show up, ain't nothing happening. And this vessel can get in the way sometimes. You've got to see your assets as liabilities. I can't do that. To do that, we'll speed up. We'll finish. To do that, we need a revelation. We need a revelation of ourselves, first of all. Our neediness, or we will never see the necessity of dependence. We need a revelation then also of His love and grace and ability, or we will never depend on Him. So I want you to do right now. Just hold out in your arms. I'm going to pray for you. A little application. Father, as I look at my brothers and sisters, I pray in Jesus' name that you would give them a revelation of themselves in terms of their own inability apart from you. Reveal to them their weakness. Reveal to them their creatureliness. Reveal to them their need of someone bigger and stronger than they are. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, they have a miserable rest of the day. So that then, Father, secondly, reveal to them how glorious you are. How strong you are. How intelligent you are. That... Father, you never called them to be like you. You called them to depend upon you. Father, may they find you to be all that you want to be to them. That's my prayer. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to leave you with an illustration. I got kids, and kids teach you, don't they, Kevin? Kevin? Good. Um... I had a little baby girl, and we got in a pool one time. She was about four years old, five years old, I'd say. And she was scared to death and wouldn't jump in so I could catch her. Now, my son, on the other hand, is a kamikaze. Back, Dad! You know. But it's her sitting on the sidelines, afraid. Come on, Leslie, jump! Come on, Leslie, jump! Finally, she walked away and sat down on the other edge of the concrete. 
and it's so sad for a dad, you know, because I look at this little kid and she's, never, she's not experiencing the thrill of flying through the air. She's not experiencing the exhilaration of being caught by strong, strong arms, you know. And she's not enjoying life with her dad. Now, what is it, gang, that was keeping her from jumping? Fear. That's the first answer I always get. And it's a good one. It's a right one. But it's a superficial one. Fear is a secondary emotion. It always has a cause. What was she afraid of? She was afraid of one of two things. Either my inability to catch her, that I wouldn't be able to catch her. Or two, my character, that I wouldn't catch her. So she sat on the sidelines. Do you realize the parallel? Do I walk with God? We fear his inability. We fear his character. We doubt who he is. That's why we need a revelation of who he is. My daughter watched my son continue to jump and continue to jump and continue to be caught and continue to be caught. Laughing, screaming, hilarious. Finally, she got the nerve. She said, well, maybe he'll catch me too. And she got in there and said, great, Leslie, come on, jump. Get closer, Daddy. I said, that's okay. That's okay in the body of Christ. You take the steps where you are. So I got closer and I got closer. I said, okay, baby, ready? Yeah. And she jumped and I went, no, I didn't do that. <laughs> and you know what she did the rest of the day? She dove and she dove. May you dive into the arms of your God and find Him to be all that He says He is. So be it in Jesus' name.